0: Hi everybody, this is the Funeral Science Podcast, a podcast about funeral science. I'm Ben, and I will be your funeral scientist for today. Okay, funeral scientists, in this episode, we are going to talk about Vladimir Lenin. For those of you not familiar, Lenin is perhaps one of the most famous embalmings in history, and his preservation was done so people could view his body in perpetuity as a demonstration of Soviet strength. In a mix of science and history, we will find funeral scientists forced to navigate government, bureaucracy, and intimidation en route to their ultimate goal. This episode contains words in Russian, and as you know, I already struggle with with speaking my own language correctly, so I apologize in advance if I... Uh, pronounce any of these words incorrectly. Before we talk about the death and embalming of Vladimir Lenin, we need to discuss why it was so important to the Soviets to preserve his body. It all begins in 1917 when Europe was locked into World War One. The Russian military had taken heavy losses and began to mutiny. At this time, Russia was ruled over by Tsar Nicholas II, who was forced to step down from his throne as Russia lacked the resources to stop what would become to be known as the February Revolution. Now with no Tsar in power, the Russian parliament took control and formed the Russian Provisional Government the provisional government still held the interests of the wealthy and upper-class Russians. Meanwhile, groups of grassroots organizations called Soviets represented the working class and the soldiers, the most powerful of which were the Bolsheviks, led by Vladimir Lenin. Lenin had had plenty of run-ins with the Russian government before this time and was in exile in Switzerland. From here, he agitated the end of Russian's participation in the war. Despite Russian troubles, Germany was also interested in creating peace with Russia and saw the Bolsheviks as a pathway to removing them from the war. As a result, in October of 1917, they facilitated Lenin's passage back to Russia. A disguised Lenin entered Petrograd, the then capital of Russia, and met with other Soviet groups. It was decided that the time was right to seize control of the Russian provisional government. An armed insurrection led by the Bolshevik party led to a successful overthrow of the government in an event that would be named the October Revolution, and Vladimir Lenin would emerge as the leader of the newly formed Soviet government. In March of 1918, the Soviets would sign a treaty with Germany leading to their exit from World War I. It was not over for the Soviets yet. Soon after, a Russian Civil War began between the Bolsheviks, known as the Reds, and the Whites, who were a group of counter-revolutionaries. The Bolsheviks won out and renamed themselves the Communist Party. This led to the establishment of Soviet power in the neighboring countries and the creation of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. However, do not mistake this history as supportive of an underdog's heroic rise to power. Quite the opposite. Between the Bolsheviks seizing power and the beginning of the Russian Civil War, Lenin ordered the mass execution of 140,000 of his critics and rivals including the imprisoned czar and his family. Further, the economy tanked and people starved. In order to feed the population, he ordered all the grain be given to a central authority to be redistributed. The media was censored, educational systems lost the right to self-govern, and all major religions in Russia were silenced. This is just a small overview of the atrocities Lenin committed in order to bring communism to the region. The pathway to his death began in 1918 after a speech at an armaments factory. A woman pulled a pistol with bullets dipped in curar, which is a poison from plants often used on poison arrows, and fired two shots. One of the bullets hit Lenin in the chest and lodged itself in his shoulder blade. No organs were damaged, but the callous form may have contributed to the atherosclerosis he developed three years later. It was in May of 1922 when he suffered his first stroke and began to withdraw from political life. He made an attempt to return later that year, but by December he was suffering daily attacks. Sensing opportunity, his eventual successor, Joseph Stalin, ordered Lenin's doctors to withdraw him from the public's contact. In March of 1923, Lenin suffered another stroke and could no longer speak. The following account of what happened near the end of Lenin's death and his embalming comes from the book, Lenin's Embalmers, written by Ilya Zabarsky and Samuel Hutchinson. Professor Zabarsky happens to be the son of one of Lenin's embalmers and had firsthand knowledge of some of the events that transpired in the laboratory. I will provide a link to where you can find a copy in the show notes. In October of 1923, a secret discussion about Lenin's funeral arrangements began among six members of the Politburo. The Politburo is the principal policy-making committee of the Communist Party, and this group of six included Stalin and his biggest rival, Leon Trotsky. It was here that the idea of embalming Lenin was first floated by Stalin in order to preserve him as a representative of the strength of the Communist Party forever. Other attendees to this meeting were incensed at the idea of turning Lenin into a relic, calling it an insult to Lenin's memory and personal philosophies. Instead, it was suggested they should rename the capital to Leningrad, which they did, and print a million of his works. Stalin wanted to harness the religiosity of the common people and turn Lenin into a demigod to be worshipped. It was soon after that Stalin was voted to follow Lenin as the leader of the Communist Party as Lenin's health continued to deteriorate. Then on January 20th, 1924, Lennon suffered his final stroke and died. An autopsy was conducted and his cause of death was listed as a brain hemorrhage in a context of atherosclerosis. Rumors abound that Lennon also had syphilis at the time of his death, although this was specifically noted as not the case in his autopsy report. Lenin was dead, and Stalin was in charge, so the idea of how to preserve his body began. In a meeting of the committee that was in charge of the funeral, one member said, Kings were embalmed because they were kings. In my opinion, the question is not so much if we should preserve Vladimir Ilyich's body, but how. Lennon's funeral was held on January 27th, and his body was placed in a temporary mausoleum. Visitors were allowed to come and view him, and the people could already begin to see the deterioration in his body. It was described that his face and hands had darkened, his lips and eyelids shriveled and discolored. For those of us used to seeing deceased human, we can easily recognize these as telltale signs of dehydration. Dehydration is a common occurrence in bodies that have been kept refrigerated. During the three days it had taken to build Lenin's temporary mausoleum, it had been negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit, and when he was placed for viewing, the doors were left open as lines of people came in to view him, so we can easily surmise that he was left at temperatures far below that of normal refrigeration temperatures. The movement of air over the surface causes any moisture on the surface to dehydrate. Further, refrigeration helps keep the blood in a liquid state for a while, which allows for hypostasis to continue. Hypostasis is the movement of body fluids from the upper parts of the body to the lower parts of the body. Since Lennon was laying on his back, the moisture settled towards his back, leaving his face and hands high and dry, so to speak, pun intended obviously this freaked the russians out who wanted an uncorrupted version of lenin to represent the supposed perfect political system so a committee of three soviet leaders set out to figure out what was to be done to preserve the body of course their immediate thought was refrigeration and carried out a series of tests on bodies to see how well this would work and ordered refrigeration equipment before the test results were even back. Discussions from various politicians involved in the preservation of Lenin's body in the press about the unlikely ability for one to preserve Lenin's body drew the attention of one Professor Vladimir Vorobioff, our first funeral scientist. Professor Vorobioff happened to be the head of anatomy at Kharkov University in the Ukraine. To him, this discussion was ridiculous as he had a lab full of perfectly preserved specimens that were 30 years old. His protest made it up the chain of command and he was summoned to Moscow. In the meantime, one of the committee of three Bolshevik leaders was still clinging to the idea of refrigeration and began consulting with both physicists and biochemists about it. One of which was our fellow funeral scientist Boris Zabarsky. This Bolshevik leader, uh, Leonid Krasin, asked Zabarski about refrigeration and was straight up told, yet it does not stop decomposition, only slow it. Further, the freezing would damage the cells. As we learned in the Funeral Science Podcast episode 4, cryonics is a method where the body is frozen, but they use special chemicals and lower the temperature to negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit slightly below the temperature of Russia in winter. Simply putting Lenin in a refrigerator was not going to cut it. Besides, this man had already been at cold temperatures and the body was showing signs of decomposition. Zabarsky also went on to explain that the body would have to be kept at a constant temperature and that a glass case would cause condensation. Now, as an aside, we all know what would happen here evaporated water on the inside of a container rains back down on the inside of that container. So not only would Lennon have been soaked and decomposing, he potentially would have gotten moldy as well. On February 28th, One month after Lenin's death, Vorobyov arrived in Moscow and got his first look at Lenin, who of course was in bad shape. There he learned that in fact an attempt at embalming had been done by the pathologist who conducted the autopsy with a solution of formalin, which is formaldehyde, alcohol, which acts as a dehydrator, and glycerin, which is a humectant that retains moisture. Now all of these chemicals are used in modern embalming, so he wasn't too far off. However, the body had been autopsied, and the man injected into Lennon's aorta, which is the major artery that runs along your spine and branches out to all of your other arteries. Because of this, the fluid leaked out and Lennon's body was not properly preserved. On March 5th, the Committee of the Three Bolshevik Leaders, which was now named the Committee for the Immortalization of Lenin's Memory, met, and this time included Vorobyov. The idea of refrigeration was again raised only to be shot down by Vorobyov. He took this opportunity to point out that Lenin's body had been refrigerated in negative 30 degree weather in the beginning and wasn't doing anything. In fact, I'm pretty sure more of what he said was, Yo, comrades, he's been cold for a long time, still decomposing, you clowns. Despite this, the committee continued the refrigeration's experiments only to prove Vorobyov right. The politicians were unswayed, and on March 14th, six weeks after Lenin's death, it was decided that he would be refrigerated. However, Vorobyov, while in Moscow, stayed with his friend, our second funeral scientist, Zabarsky. Vorobyov explained to Zabarsky that he had had it. He wasn't dealing with these people anymore, and he was headed back to the Ukraine, which he did. However, Vorobioff was visited in the Ukraine by the Bolshevik leader Leonid Krasin, who wanted to see the anatomical specimens in his lab. While there, Krasin informed Vorobioff that he was needed back in Moscow to implement the techniques needed to preserve Lenin's body. In other words, the Committee for Immoralization had suddenly changed its mind. Back in Moscow, Zabarsky had convinced the committee they could save Lenin's body. Now, our funeral scientists were going to be given the time and equipment they needed to get the job done. On March 26, two months after Lenin's death, Vorobioff, Zabarsky, and four of the assistants began Lenin's second embalming. It's important to note here that even though the first embalming didn't really take, any distribution of the formaldehyde would have fixated the insides of the arteries. This would have impeded the chemicals in the second round. Vorobioff began by removing the remaining organs and uh, fixating the inside of the body cavities with formaldehyde. Next, he injected formaldehyde directly into the tissues he found that were soft from decomposition and placed wool soaked in formaldehyde on the face, hands, and body. For those of you who are embalmers, you probably recognize these techniques as they are still commonly done today to preserve under-embalmed tissues after arterial injection. Next, he immersed Lennon's entire body in a 3% solution of formaldehyde. I will also point out that it would have been very difficult to breathe in this room because formaldehyde is very much a respiratory irritant, especially at this volume. However, the immersion in the formaldehyde didn't work as he wanted. Vorobioff decided that he would make incisions on strategic points on the body, allowing the formaldehyde to better soak in. The solution itself was also reworked. It now included 20% alcohol and 30% glycerin, Lenin's body remained in this bath for two weeks, then placed in a mixture of glycerin and water, which would allow the tissues to recover some of their elasticity, as glycerin is a humectant and will help retain moisture. Over the next few months, slowly potassium acetate, a chemical used to retain moisture, and quinine chloride, which is a disinfectant, were added. This final mixture of glycerin, potassium acetate, quinine, and water called Balsam by its creators, was the final solution mix and is used in all subsequent treatments of Lennon's body that take place every 18 months. In fact, this mix is so effective that it is used as a method of preserving cadavers for anatomical study to this day. Lennon still didn't look very good, even though he was now better preserved. Dark spots on his skin were touched up with carbolic acid, which is also known as phenol, a chemical still used in embalming for this purpose today. His mouth was stitched closed and his eyes were replaced with fake eyeballs and his eyelids were sewn shut. In June of 1924, five months after his death, Lennon's wife and siblings were invited to see Lennon for the first time since his funeral. His brother remarked, I am very moved. It takes my breath away. He looks as he did when we saw him a few hours after he died, perhaps even better. The embalming had been a success, and Vorobyov had heard the words every embalmer wishes to hear after presenting a loved one to their family. What initially drew me to to this particular topic was an article published in The Guardian in 2016 that was to update us on the condition of Lennon's body at that time and to warn us all that it was in not good condition and is deteriorating. Reading this article and my subsequent research on the topic proved to be important as some of the claims in the article were pretty inaccurate. I will provide a link to the article in the show notes. Right off the bat, the article claims that Lennon's autopsy is first and foremost to be blamed for his deteriorating condition because, quote, the veins were cut and the vascular system could be used to deliver embalming solution, unquote. Immediately, I take issue with this. Embalmers embalm autopsy bodies every day without an issue. We can still access the vascular system and deliver our solution without an issue. In fact, some embalmers might argue, myself included, that it is easier at times to get our solution into the head and limbs because we are injecting them directly through the major arteries. This article also alludes to the secrecy of the balsam, created by Vorobyov as being some kind of uh, secret despite it being a common way to preserve bodies for anatomical study. In my estimation, two things happened that really impeded the ability to preserve Lenin well. First was the initial attempt at embalming. When formaldehyde is injected into the tissue, it fixates the proteins through cross-linking. If this happened in the vascular system, then it would have had impeded further diffusion of the chemicals into the tissues. This is a real problem embalmers face and can result in further decomposition even after embalming. Second, and probably most obviously, was the time two months is a long time, especially if he was in an uncontrolled temperature and moisture conditions during the two months it would take to finally decide on chemical injection, people. Okay, that's it for this episode. Do you have a question for me? you can email me at podcasts at gmail.com with the subject line, podcast question. Are you or someone you know doing something that promotes education, equality, or otherwise raises awareness about an issue in funeral service? Please send me information about it to podcast at gmail.com with the subject line, a good thing is happening. Now, a note here, that does have an exclamation mark in it, so be sure to include that in your subject line and I'll be sure to read it. You can also follow me on social media. I am Mortracker on Instagram. That's M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R. We also have the Funeral Science Podcast Facebook page, which you can like. You will find these uh, social media usernames in the show notes. I have also heard on other podcasts that if you rate and review podcasts you like, it helps them. So if you like this podcast, then please do that wherever you are listening from. All right, everybody. I'll talk to you later.